Father, we trust you in this moment. Father, we come to you believing that you desire to teach us. Father, work uh, in me um, just as a vessel to communicate uh, what it is that your word says. Father, every person in this room, if they're empowered by your Holy Spirit, has the capability of reading uh, this passage of Scripture and walking away with application and truth for their life. But God, even as the theme this morning is unity, uh, by the power of unity, you've um, called it You've called forth um, individuals to proclaim God's word on a regular basis that we could rally around it. Father, I'm humbled to have this privilege this morning. So for whoever may stand in this place, Lord God, would you use them? And so now would you use me? Work in our hearts this morning, I pray. May your spirit's presence be evident and clear to us. And we now ask these things in Jesus' name. And the whole church said... Amen. Amen. So, like Lisa said earlier, I do see a lot of new faces in the room. We're in the middle of a series, four to five weeks, if you will, into a series called Clarity. We're seeking clarity on what the mission of God is. In case you're wondering why we're seeking clarity on what the mission of God is, it's because we just changed our name to Mission Church. And so what we're asking the question is, why did we change our name to Mission Church? We changed it to Mission Church because we asked two questions. Who has the Lord called us to be? He's called us to be the church. What has the Lord called us to be about? He's called us to be about the mission of God. And so here's where we've come. We began this series by saying this, Jesus Christ is the master builder. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. A mandate was set. A church would be built. It is coming, but he said, wait, wait, wait. It's not here yet, but it is coming. Then he went to the cross. He died, uh, was buried, rose again three days later. And then on the night of his resurrection, he looked at his disciples and said, as the Father has sent me, so now am I sending you. <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit. And he gave them a taste of the power that was coming. You see, Jesus is the model. He's the master builder. But now we see clearly in our church, he's the one whom we model everything after. Eight days later, uh, Mark chapter 16, it says specifically in the text that the 11 were gathered, so it wasn't the night of the resurrection because we know Thomas wasn't there. So eight days later, now the 11 are gathered, and Jesus comes back again, and he says, go and proclaim, and that which is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven, that which is bound on earth will be bound in heaven, and he gave us the magnitude of this mission, that eternity hangs in the balance of this mission. He's the master builder. He's the model there's a magnitude to this. And then Matthew 28, on a mountain in Galilee, he came to his disciples and he gave them the method about how church is to be done, about how this mission is to be carried forward. And he said this, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. There's a method. You see, Jesus is the master builder. Jesus Christ himself is the model that we model everything after. There's a magnitude to that which we're called to. Eternity hangs in the balance. There's a method, there's a way, there's a way, there's a way. We got to do it Jesus' way. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he said, Lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And then last week, Luke 24, believing this to happen right before the ascension, he comes and he opens their eyes to the entire gospel. 
And once again, he sends them, but he makes this clear. The message of Jesus Christ is abundantly clear. What is the message that saves? It's this. Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life. He died a painful death, was buried in a tomb, and rose to life three days later. If you believe in your mind and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, the scriptures say, you will be saved. You see, Jesus is uh, the master builder. Jesus is the model. There's a magnitude to this mission. There's a method in which Jesus wants to be accomplished. There's a message that is the undergirding of it all that needs to be proclaimed. And now this, there's a means. There's a means. There's a power that enables us to do it all. See, I don't know about you, but um, when I think about the totality of the mission as it's laid out, in these post-resurrection accounts, I get a little overwhelmed. When you think about living a life as Jesus lived it, when you think about proclaiming a message as Jesus proclaimed it, when you think about uh, putting him at the center of all things, when you think about this, we're commanded in making disciples to teach all that Jesus commanded. Anyone have the corner on that? Have you ever wanted to live for the Lord but felt a little overwhelmed? By the proposition? Have you ever felt like perhaps you don't have the power? Perhaps maybe you feel like you're overloaded and you're just not quite sure what it looks like and how it's supposed to go. Recently, I was confronted with the reality of lacking power and being overloaded. Recently, I was confronted with the reality of lacking power and being overloaded. So for sake of illustration, uh, let me go here with you this morning. Some of you know, some of you know that um, much to my father's Ford-loving heart, much to his chagrin, I drive a Toyota Tacoma. Raise your hand if you knew I drive a, a Toyota Tacoma. You've heard this illustration before, uh, but now it's going to take a little bit different of a turn. Raise your hand if you feel badly for me that I drive a Toyota Tacoma. I want to see how many of you are like my father. Marked. But it's not because you're a Ford man, is it? You drive a Chevy. I can, oh, you do drive a Ford? I, I'm telling you, I can see a Chevy guy from a mile away. <laughs> Any of you know what a tow rating is? Any of you know what a tow rating is, what tow capacity is? You see, my truck, my truck, because they felt bad for guys like me, they used to be called compact trucks for, for widow guys. <laughs> they now call them mid-sized trucks just to make us feel a little better about themselves. Look. I'm five foot eight. That's average height, all right? <laughs> Mid-sized truck fits me perfectly, so there. You see, uh, here's the thing. Because I have this mid-sized truck, it has subjected me over the years to just a, I don't know, a little bit of uncalled for, extremely hurtful, disparaging, small truck, whittle guy jokes. Uh, mostly for my father, but... Others have certainly chimed in. I mean, even my father-in-law recently has been asking me on a regular basis, what is the tow load of your Tacoma? <laughs> I think he wants me to know that his uh, Tahoe can out-tow my truck and whatever. You get it. You see, to this point, I've been able to shake off the cruelty. They're just words. Sticks and stones will break our bones, but these words, come on, they're just words. They'll never hurt me. 
I've been able to shake it off until recently. Uh, you see, we're moving at the end of the week. And so every spare moment of my day has been packing boxes. And these two very generous friends of mine loaned me trailers. And so, you see, I went with my widow truck, and I picked up these trailers. And I brought them to my house. And um, you see my wonderful, beautiful, that's charcoal gray. It's an incredibly manly color. Some friends came by. We've been packing boxes, packing boxes, packing boxes. And now, and now I'm faced with the reality. You see, uh, words are just words, but sometimes I've got to be honest with you, the truth does actually hurt. Because what am I doing now as I look out there? You see how those tires are squatting on those trailers? My truck has officially <laughs> out, it, it, the, the tow capacity has now been exceeded. I have to admit, I now have to humble myself. I have just three quarters of my house packed into trailers, and my truck is too whittle to... So, if you're looking for me on Friday, I will be in my father-in-law's Chevy Tahoe, <laughs> moving my house. And it's okay. You see, when it comes to the mission of God, it's okay to be overwhelmed. When it comes to the mission of God, uh, you actually should expect for your towing capacity to be exceeded. But what I recognize when I look out in a room like this is that uh, so many of us, uh, we load our religious trailers of good intentions only to find out that the, the weight's a little bit too heavy. You see, some of us, um, we're, we're still filling the trailer anyway, and we're, we've still hooked up our widow guy truck to it, and, and we're still seeking to tow the load. You see, our chassis is being stretched, our engines are being overworked, and the torque of our transmission of our soul is about to burn up and to become overwhelmed. But here we still find ourselves seeking to tow this trailer in our own strength. You see, today the point is this. There's a means to the mission. There's a power that God has afforded to us. He desires for us to humble ourselves, to submit ourselves to him. And he will delight when we finally admit this. Lord God, we see the preciousness and the importance of all that you've called us to. But Lord God, we can't do this on our own. We need the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, the Lord has given us a means. Say means. means. Now say it one more time. Means. The means is a person. Tell me who the person is. Tell me. Just tell me. It's the Holy Spirit. We have a message. We have a method. We have a model. We have a, something that is an incredible magnitude before us. Jesus Christ is his master builder, but he has left us with his Holy Spirit to get the job done. So are you ready to fulfill the mission of God? Here's how it happens. You've got to trust the Holy Spirit. If you're ready to trust the Holy Spirit, say this. Say, I know I need him. Just say, I know I need him. I know too. Take a look at your Bible, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, read this with me. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. You remember how I wrote that he presented himself alive after his suffering with many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. 
and speaking about the kingdom of God, stop. I said in my introduction that the letter of Acts, if you will, was written to a man named Theophilus, a man named Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God. We would believe that he was probably residing in the city of Rome, and so Luke is now going to write to him and say this. Listen, do you remember? Do you remember all that I began to talk to you about in my gospel? Do you remember how I told you about all the incredible works and all the powerful things that Jesus began to do? What do you note by the word began? It's this, that Jesus began doing good works, but he's going to continue to do good works. How is he going to get that done? The same way he got it done when he was on earth. You see what it says? Remember how I told you how he did good works? How? Verse 2. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember how he chose the apostles? Do you remember, Theophilus, how he presented himself alive? Do you remember all the proofs? Do you remember, Theophilus, how I told you how he showed up on resurrection night? Theophilus, do you remember how he invited Thomas to put his finger in the scar if that was was needed. Oh, Theophilus, do you remember? Do you remember how I told you how Jesus met with them eight days later? Do you remember how he met with them on a mountain in Galilee? Remember how I told you about all of this? Theophilus, do you remember how 40 days went by? 40 days from the time he rose from the dead and how during that entire time, what does it say in verse 3? During that entire time, how he was speaking about the kingdom of God. In case you lose this and all of this mission talk, what we're really talking about in the fulfillment of the mission is this. It's building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's not building a church, a lowercase c individual church. It's not about making a name. It's not about any of those things. It's about building the capital K kingdom of God. Now, verse 4 through 8, our text for today. That's context. Let me continue on, Theophilus, with what I need you to know. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said. You heard from me how John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, the ascension. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Lord has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. We have come to this point. And finding clarity in the mission. The clarity today is this. The clarity is for the means. We find clarity and we receive the means of the Holy Spirit when we learn to trust the Holy Spirit. So here it is. Three ways we grow in our trust of the Holy Spirit. Point one. We learn to trust the Holy Spirit when we trust the Holy Spirit's permanent presence in our life. When we trust the Spirit's permanent presence in our lives. Look at verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar? Luke 24, last week. This is an overlap. Luke's the same author, so he's just catching Luke. He's catching Theophilus up where he left off in the gospel. 
So where are the disciples right now? What city are the disciples in? Lift up your voice. It starts with a J. Where are they? They're in Jerusalem. And what are they supposed to do in Jerusalem? It begins with a W. Tell me they're supposed to. They're supposed to wait in Jerusalem. And what are they waiting for? It gets really confusing when I ask literal questions and then rhetorical questions because then you don't know when to answer. I apologize for that. <laughs> Keeps you on your toes. Am I saying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, but to wait, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus has already promised the Father, the Holy Spirit, John 14 and John 16. Here he comes. He said, listen, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will soon be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus is like, remember? Remember how I told you about the Holy Spirit? Remember how John the Baptist said that there's one coming who will baptize with the Holy Spirit? Do you remember all this? Do you remember how right before my death I told you the Holy Spirit would come? Do you remember? you remember resurrection night when I gave you a taste and how you longed for it? Do you remember that? Do you remember how on the mountain on Galilee, just a few weeks ago, perhaps it was, remember when I said baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Do you remember that? You remember how we've been talking about this? Do you remember how your soul burned within you? Do you remember how you long for him to come? I'm telling you, just a couple of days from now, just hours from now, he's going to come and he's going to completely consume you. The word baptism here is indeed the word baptizo, which means to immerse. It means that you're going to be completely saturated, filled to the top. He's going to be coming out of your proverbial ears, if you will. The Holy Spirit is going to be so palpable amongst you. Baptized, immersed, completely flooded and consumed and overwhelmed. What Jesus is describing is a once forever event. What Jesus is describing when he talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a once and forever event. This is exactly what Jesus had promised, John 14, 16. Listen, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Say helper. He's going to be a helper. How much access are you going to have to this helper? He's going to be with you forever. He's going to be with you forever. You know what that means? The Holy Spirit does not come and go. You, you understand this is not only a promise to the 11. This wasn't a promise to all of us because 1 Corinthians 12, 13, jot this passage down, says this. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. All means all. If you've trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, just as the apostles were promised to be baptized by the Holy Spirit and to have his forever present power, so too do you. For we were all baptized in one spirit and one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. There is no earning of the Holy Spirit's presence. We were all made to drink of one spirit. You see the word made? We didn't earn any of this. You and I have the permanent presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This may sound elementary, but let me say it again. You and I have the permanent presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
The Spirit of God, let me say it again, does not come and go. He does not come and go. There are times whenever you may sense or choose to acknowledge his presence, and perhaps there's times when you would want to ignore him. But hear this, the Holy Spirit does not come and go. We can always be on mission, and we always have access to his power because he permanently indwells us forever. Amen. You see, the moment we are saved, the Holy Spirit goes immediately to work. It's time for a little pneumonology, all right? A little theology on the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of confusion in our day about the Holy Spirit. Hear this. The moment that you confess your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, uh, your, your heart becomes a spiritual work zone. It becomes a hard hat zone, if you will, because the Holy Spirit goes to work doing this. Number one, he regenerates you. You were a dead person walking until the Holy Spirit came into your heart and turned your heart of stone to flesh. Titus 3, 5, he saved us, not because of works that we have done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, he regenerates you, then this, Once you've been brought to life, he's like, man, this place is a mess. He gets out the proverbial scrub brush and he he cleans up the joint. He scrubs out your heart. It happens instantaneously, but hear this. He baptizes you. He cleanses your heart through his spiritual presence. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. He cleanses you. He baptizes you. He consumes you. And then this. He registers for a permanent address. He indwells you. Romans 8, 9 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God indwells you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He indwells you. He indwells you. He indwells you. He takes residency in your soul and you cannot evict him. And then finally this. He turns on the no vacancy light. He turns off the no vacancy light. He completely seals you. He seals you. He seals you. It says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Seal means this. It means to stamp as approved. To stamp as approved. Listen, the Holy Spirit can stamp you as approved because he brought you to life, because he baptized and cleansed your soul, because he indwells you, and then he seals you. He takes up your zip code. His now permanent resident address is inside your heart, and he says, look, no need to knock upon this door. I am the tenant. I am the one who resides. This is the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now hear this. All of it happens instantly the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Ephesians 4.30 sometimes can be confusing because it says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We can't lose the Holy Spirit, but we can grieve him. We can't lose the Holy Spirit, but we can choose to ignore him. Again, Romans 8, 9, though, 
Those who teach that you can lose the Holy Spirit is a very dangerous thing. Those who would teach that you have to come and seek a regular manifestation or a new refreshing indwelling for the purpose of salvation teach a very dangerous doctrine. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Hear that. To not have the Holy Spirit or to lose the Holy Spirit or to have to continually seek after the presence of the Holy Spirit is a very dangerous thing if you don't understand what it is you're requesting. Yes, we want the Holy Spirit to remind us of his presence. Yes, we want him to make his presence known in a unique and a powerful way. But when you say that, please guard your heart from thinking that somehow he's exited the room or somehow he's exited you or somehow he's not there. He is present. What needs to be awakened is our acknowledgement of his always perpetual, continual, persistent presence in our lives. He will not leave us, nor he will, forsake, will he ever forsake us. He promised to forever indwell us. Listen, we don't come to church to earn the Spirit's presence. We don't come to church to summons his presence as we gather. We celebrate the fact that his spirit and his presence is already among us and in us. And so when we sing songs like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Flood this place and fill the atmosphere. What we're singing is this, oh God, open my eyes to a reality that's already true. Let us not become so legalistic that we can't express our hearts illustratively to the Lord, but let us also not become so deluded in our songs that we misinterpret how wonderfully powerful and permanent the Spirit's presence is in our life. He's in you. He's in you. He's in you. How do you know if he's in you? It's more than a feeling. But feeling is part of it. Because you are an individual. You are a person. You are made up of an intellect, a will, and an emotion. You will feel the, feel the presence of the Lord. But so much emphasis has been placed on the feeling of the Holy Spirit's presence that we've missed, that he also manifests himself through fruit and through fuel. If you're going to feel the Holy Spirit's presence, then you're also going to see his fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, patience, self-control. Of these things, there is no law. Why? Because they are fruits of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22. And then this fuel. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power, so that the power, you haven't repeated in a little while, so say power. power. So the power of the Holy Spirit spirit may abound in hope. Which leads us to the second point. You see, we learn to trust the Holy Spirit by acknowledging and trusting in the fact that he is permanently present. Now this, we learn to trust in the Holy Spirit when we trust that the Holy Spirit is also predominantly powerful. We trust his predominant power. Jesus like, oh, just wait. Just wait. Just hold yourselves up. Don't start the mission until you get the power to start the mission. The Holy Spirit's coming. Here he comes. Verse 6. 
And when they had come together, could you imagine that moment? They had come together now. We have every reason to believe that now this is the Mount of Olives. The ascension is about to happen. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven 40 days after his resurrection. So they come together again. Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, the disciples asked? Will you, Jesus, at this time restore the kingdom of Israel as you asked? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. So you go back to verse 6 and you're like, whoa, whoa, he said the Holy Spirit's coming. Imagine being in the place of the disciples. They're like, the Holy Spirit's coming, the Holy Spirit's coming. Jerry said the Holy Spirit's coming. Like, awesome, the Holy Spirit's coming. Just like the prophet said. So Jesus, Jesus, listen, listen, listen. So you're back. You went to the cross. You were buried. You died. We, we missed you while you were gone, but you're back. You're back. So now, Jesus, now's the time, right? You're back. They were so fired up to be with Jesus. All in favor to be fired up and to be with Jesus. Raise your hand and think that's a great idea. Like being with Jesus is a really good plan. Yeah, they had a great plan before them. It was just not the plan that Jesus had for them. You see, they thought and they believed that when the Holy Spirit came, that a literal physical kingdom was going to accompany the coming of the Holy Spirit. I think so many times the disciples get a bum rap and we're like, ooh, the, we, we use bad words to describe them. It's a bad word in my house. It's that S word, S-T-U-P-I-D. Sometimes we think that they're like, they, they lack some scruples, right? That they're a little long on the drywall and a couple of studs short kind of a thing. They just, they, they struggle. But I think sometimes you gotta, you gotta read your Bible, you got to realize that these guys weren't idiots. They were simple people. They were simple men for sure. But listen, if you read your Bible, you would know. Write these verses down for your own study. Zechariah 12, 8 through 10. Ezekiel 39, 28 and 29. Isaiah 44, 3 through 5. And Joel 2, 28. All of them make it abundantly clear that when the Holy Spirit comes, when the kingdom of God comes, his Holy Spirit's power is going to be poured out. It's like, here he comes. This is going to be awesome. The prophets have made it so abundantly clear that now's the time for the kingdom of God. Have you ever been like so confident and so wrong at the same time? Kind of like a Cowboys fan. <laughs> All three people got up and left. <laughs> How is it that they still didn't get it? The last passage that we studied together was Luke 24. And he opened their minds to all of the scriptures. I hope you ask yourselves questions like this. If he really opened their mind to all of the scriptures, why in the world is this still confusing? What does it say he opened their minds to? that everything written about him needed to be fulfilled. He opened their minds that he is the center point. But what this does for me, what this confirms for me is this, Ephesians chapter four and five, read it for yourself. The church really was a mystery in ages past. The church was something that the Jews just didn't see coming. That this idea of a spiritual kingdom 
that God was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham, his promise to David, that he was going to keep his covenantal promise through, through an entity, through a church that was going to involve Jews and Gentiles, slave and free man, rich and poor, never entered their minds. Oh, what a glorious mystery that we are living today. You see, the disciples wanted one thing. But Jesus had something better for them. How often does the Lord do this for you? How often do you pray and ask the Lord, is now the time? Lord, is now the time? Lord, is now, is now the time? Is this going to be the one? Is this going to be the season? Certainly, it's all added up to this. Certainly, all of the things, and you have it all figured out, and it's all rationalized in your mind. This has got to be how the Lord is working. It's got to be how the Lord is working. It has to be. And you have it all figured out, and you're, pray- and you're, and you're praying, and you're seeking, and you're saying, Lord, is now the time? And then just so gently, I see it as so gently in this text, how the Lord does not rebuke them. He just simply kind of indicates this. Things don't always work out the way you think they should. You see, my thoughts just aren't quite like your thoughts, and um, my ways just aren't quite like your ways. And you see, it's not for you to know, actually. You see, if you could figure it out and all the plans could be by your design, you'd be king by now. Yes, I said you. He says, now's not the time. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Oh, but how we try to figure out God with our lives. Oh, so gently, it's not for you to know. If it were me, I'd be like, mind your own business. Not Jesus. I have something better for you. But he makes it abundantly clear that everything is about to change. Everything is about to change. Not only are they not going to get their physical earthly kingdom, they're also going to lose their king, at least the physical presence of him as they know it and as they wish for it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. You see, from this point forward, all of their confidence, all of their power was going to come from the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want you to stop and think about what a learning curve this had to have been for the disciples. What a learning curve is about to come before them. Up until this very moment, Jesus Christ was the leader. Jesus Christ was physically present. He told them where to go. He told them what to teach. He taught them how to pray. He told them how to behave. He was there, ever-present, accountable unto them. How to treat one another all came from Jesus' lips. Listen, he was the source of their power. He was the one who performed the miracles. He was the one who enabled Peter to walk on water. He was the one who gave them bread and allowed them to feed the 5,000. He was the one who stood by They stood by as he was the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. Think about the learning curve that is before them. He was the source of their strength. He stood before the Pharisees. 
He's the one who stood up to the scribes and the Sadducees. He was the one who gave them their strength. They learned the hard way that without Jesus, they could do absolutely nothing for he was barely gone moments and by only hours, Peter had already denied him three times. Now this Jesus whom they were so relationally connected to and so relationally desirous of is now standing before them and he's saying, now I'm going to go for good. Now I'm going to go for good. Oh, how the scriptures must have come flooding back. Oh, how the only way they made it through that moment was that the scriptures must have come flooding back. The words of Jesus must have come flooding back. John 16, 7, they had to have remembered this. It is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus said, for if I go away, the helper will not be able to come if I don't go. But if I go, I will send him to you. Guys, I gotta go. John 16, 12. I still have many things I want to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Catch this. What Jesus opened their eyes to in Luke 24, the Holy Spirit was going to pick up and teach them even more things. Greater works than this, John 14, 12, will you do when the Spirit of God comes upon you? They're going to do even greater works. How in the world? How in the world is that possible? Does anyone in this room, you've heard that verse, some of you, so many times, you're going to do greater works, greater works, greater works, greater works. Would any of you look back at this past week that you lived and said, spot on, Jesus Clearly in my life, I can see, I don't know, one, three, five, four ways that I did things greater than you. How is it possible except that we don't, but that Jesus does through the power of the Holy Spirit who is in us? Greater things will be done because Jesus is still the master builder, because he's still the model, because he's still the one. He is working in you, and he is working through you. I want you to stop and consider all the power that is resident in your soul right now. Stop and consider all that the Holy Spirit promises to do for you. Are you ready? Write these down. John 14, 16, he will be your helper. Helper with what? You got something? That. He'll be your helper in all things to live on mission, on focus for the Lord. Romans 8, 26 says he will intercede for you. Do any of you ever have trouble praying? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes if you have a difficult time praying, just thank the Lord for the Spirit's presence. 
Just spend your time just over and over again. Lord, just thank you for the Spirit's presence. Just thank you that I'm not alone. Thank you that I'm not forsaken. Thank you that I'll be able to live my day today because your Holy Spirit is in me. Lord God, please, I'm just so grateful. And now, God, if you would, would you, would you by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring some things to mind right now that I, that I, would really, that I should be praying for? How often do we come? I'm so smart. I have it all figured out. I have my prayer list. It's so mechanical. It's so augmented. I have a spreadsheet for it. This is what Jesus needs to hear right now. And by the way, I think it's okay to have those things. I'm just kind of wondering if you haven't just kind of right, kind of outplanned the need for the Holy Spirit in your prayer life. Have a plan. Have a list for sure. But if you don't end your time by saying, and Lord God, what a, how else would you be, be, what might I be of use to you right now? What else would you bring to my mind? Lord God, please intercede for me. Work beyond my list. Work beyond my list. Work beyond my list. Intercedes. He sanctifies you. He sanctifies you. What that means is he helps you look more like Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 2.3. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved of the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He's the miracle grow for your heart. The Holy Spirit is the miracle grow for your soul. You will not look more like Jesus until you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. Finally, he illum- nope, two more, illuminates. He illuminates, he illuminates. If anything that I'm saying this morning makes sense, it's a miracle of God. His Holy Spirit makes it possible. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Come on, somebody say awesome. It's awesome. I'm speaking English. frail human words and the Holy Spirit will appropriate the truths that are according to his word and make you look more like Jesus. This is a miracle every Sunday. We need not let the lights have the lights flash. Lightning need not sound. Thunder need not erupt. People need not fall and hit the floor by something. This is a miracle that we understand God's word right now. And if God wants to do other things, let him do other things. But I first think we need to appreciate the simple miracles that are in front of us. May we be not like the Pharisees desiring greater signs than these. And then this, he gives you a spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4.10 As each has received a gift, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says this, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I can't wait to teach about spiritual gifts again and so many of you in this room are being used of God. He's empowered you, he's gifted you. Some of you know your spiritual gift and some of you are being used by the, by the Lord before you even know it. He's our means. He's our means. He is the power. 
The Holy Spirit is the power by which Jesus continues to build his church. And apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We need him to guide every ounce of this church, every directional decision that we ever come to. It's got to be in the purposeful plan of the Lord, point three. We learn to trust the Holy Spirit when we learn to trust his permanent presence, his predominant power, and now thirdly, his purposeful plan his purposeful plan. He said, you will be my witnesses. You'll receive power, uh, but you will be my witnesses. Here forward, Jesus had guided them. Now the Holy Spirit's going to guide them where they need to go, where people need to hear who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. What does a witness do? A witness simply gives testimony of something they've seen, something they've experienced, something that's happened to them. Kind of like Daryl today shared his witness, his testimony about this is what God has done in my life Rewind the tape of your mind and realize what you saw before you in the baptism tank today was the work of the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. It's a miracle of God. We're seeing miracles before us as lives are transformed. We're seeing miracles before us as you would pick up the mantle of the mission because you wouldn't do it by your own flesh. You see, the scope of the mission begins with your neighbor and ends on the other side of the world. It begins with those you like and it'll end with those you hate. Until every ear hears. Until every heart has had an opportunity to respond. The goal of the mission, proclaim the gospel. The scope of the mission, the entire world. And the key is to be continually filled by the Holy Spirit. Be continually filled by the Holy Spirit. Filling, piero in the Greek, piero, to make complete, to provide fully. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he completes, he fills, he completely and fully indwells you. When you are filled with courage, you're courageous. When you're filled with joy, you're joyful. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be purposeful and submissive to God's perfect plan. You see it? So to be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be completely and fully relying on, trusting in, obeying, and submitting to the Holy Spirit's perfect plan. You're like, my pen doesn't move that fast. Sorry about that. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means to rely on, trust in, obey, and fully submit to the Holy Spirit's perfect plan and leading in your life. Listen, his leading will be a leading of strength. His leading will be a leading of clarity. In the book of Acts, his presence brought clarity and power, not confusion. His presence always brings power and purpose. The filling of the Holy Spirit brings fuel, it brings fruit. Yes, and it does bring a feeling and affection for the Lord for sure, but his leading is a leading of strength and clarity. Hear this, every time the word filling is used in the book of Acts, it is used by someone who is being used of God to further his mission. You don't come to worship service to summon the Holy Spirit's presence. You come to celebrate the fact that he's here. The fact that he's in you. And if you want to be filled by God, what you're saying is this, Holy Spirit, fill me that I might be used. Fill me that I might know the way in which I am to go. Fill me that I may be purposeful and focused, that I may have clarity 
and how I can be used. Think of it, Acts chapter 2. They were filled they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues that people could understand. Acts 4.8. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he preached with clarity and boldness. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, later in the same passage, it said, all were given clarity and power. The verse says this, and they were all filled. That should get every person in this room hope. The whole room was filled with the Holy Spirit and the whole room was then able to speak the word of God with boldness. Filling, being, filling brings focus. Acts chapter 9, when the apostle Paul was filled by the Holy Spirit, when he was given back his sight, Ananias said to him, regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul saw with clarity for the first time. Acts 13, 9, when Paul had to confront Bar-Jesus, a false teacher, the text says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, which gave him courage to look this guy intently in the eye and say this, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. That's what the filling of the Holy Spirit will do for you. He'll reveal false teaching before you. He'll give you courage to call it out. He'll give you boldness to speak truth with clarity. Acts chapter 13, verse 52. Here's what else the filling of the Holy Spirit will do for you. After being persecuted, verse 52 says this, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit brought clarity and perspective to the circumstance before them. For we consider it all joy when we face hardships of many kinds. Why? Because we're on mission Greater things than these has the Lord called us to do. You see, the Holy Spirit was given not merely for our pleasure. He was sent to fulfill the Father and Son's purpose. Jesus Christ is still on mission. Jesus Christ is still building his church. Jesus Christ is still the model. He still wants us to be aware of the magnitude. He wants us to know the method. He wants us to proclaim. He wants us to proclaim the message. But hear this. He is the means. His Holy Spirit is the means. And so, do you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? If you do, his power will saturate you. And today you will leave this place fixed and focused on this one thing. Christ died for me. He went to the grave for me. He rose again for me. I once was a dead man or a dead woman walking, but now I've been brought to life. I now see things perfectly new. And if you're able to see something today that you had never seen before, it's because the Holy Spirit has taken residency in your soul. And if you want to see things clear today, it happens like this. You need to believe that you're a sinner who knows that you need a Savior. And then you cry out to God and say, forgive me of my sins. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus rose from the, day of the dead, the scriptures say you will be saved. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit indwells you and he seals you and he stamps you as approved by God. And so, Father, now we come to you with hearts full of thanksgiving, believing and claiming these truths to be the security of our hearts and of our lives. Father, we have nothing if we don't have you. Father, we have nothing if your Holy Spirit is not here in us. 
Father, oh, how we do sing songs and cry out for your Spirit's presence, and we do, Lord God, awaken our souls to your Spirit's presence that is already in us. God, miraculously do your work in this place that people's hearts will be full of your Spirit. Redeem hearts, save souls today. Father, cause us to leave this place filled with your Holy Spirit, focused and fixed on how you would use us this day. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.